This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. What's up, Smooth Operators? Welcome to this week's show. So glad you could join me. Oh, my gosh. I am geeking out particularly about this interview because it's about something I've been really fascinated about with over the years, especially as my influence has grown and I've met more people. The world is indeed flat. And if you're running an online team, if you're working in an online business, it's not a matter of if, it's when you are interacting with cultures all across the world, bringing them onto your team, having them in your programs, having them buy your products. And the world is such a beautiful place. We we have some commonalities between us, for sure, but there are very unique things that make each culture wonderful. And I have found in my leadership of teams and working with teams that it's my desire to learn more about their cultures and and to be not necessarily like I'm not looking to you know become part of their culture but at least understand it and appreciate it and under and and you know know the nuances that make their culture it's really made a huge difference in my ability to lead teams and to inspire people to follow me so with that I wanted to, to bring on a guest who's a learning coach for foreign languages. So Angel Preto is uh, the premier French learning coach. He helps English speakers learn French fast and become fluent. Uh, as he says, doing it the hard way like he did is tough. And if you've learned a foreign language, you know that. So what he does is he works on very efficient methods and creating a space for all his, his clients, lowering that intimidation level that we often feel when learning a foreign language. He runs a website, frenchfluency.net, that will be linked in the show notes. And while I don't speak French, I am trilingual, speak Indonesian and Thai, well, Thai badly, Indonesian well. So it definitely resonated with, with me, the idea of language as an opening to culture. So thank you much for joining me, Angel. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm great. Like I was saying off camera, it's way too hot here in Europe right now, but we're making it work. And yeah, as you said, uh, I'm, a, I'm a French learning coach and I run an online operation, tiny compared to some of the ones you, um, you work with. But it's also, it can also be nice to have a, a small one and you know, making that, make it as smooth as possible, get some free time for yourself. So that's what free time. Wait, we entrepreneurs are allowed to have free time. Is that a thing now? Well, I guess it depends. I mean, but if your operation is really smooth, then yes. <laughs> For sure. Yes. Uh, well, that's a rabbit hole. I won't go down just yet. We'll get there. Um, I, I know you have a really interesting backstory and in how you got here and how you're the whole family is kind of like, you're doing what? So um, I think we can all share in that uh, experience with our family. So I'd love to hear more about your background and what you brought you to this space. Yes. So first off, I'm French. Uh, I was born in France. I'm from Dijon, which is the same place the mustard is from. I lived in France the first 25 years of my life. And then I was like, okay, let's go try to see something else. And to be specific, it wasn't re really my decision, but uh, my master's degree is in teaching French as a foreign language, so teaching French to foreigners. And in that line of work, if you don't have experience abroad, it's very hard to find a job in France because you're not taken seriously. 
and then you you know how that goes uh, once you're abroad there is a good chance you're not coming back so i've been living in a uh, German-speaking countries for 13 years now. I first moved to Austria, then I went to Germany, and then I came back to uh, Austria. I'm in Vienna now. And um, the thing about my family is like, you're doing what? Uh, in France, we don't have the uh, celebration of entrepreneurship like you have in the US. It just doesn't work this way. My parents never encouraged me to run my own business. In fact, they strongly try to discourage me in many ways. And it's only because I am very uh, older now and very tenacious that I managed to do it anyway, because I do what I want. <laughs> you can't really stop me after a certain age, basically. Absolutely. I, I've, we, well, despite the fact that the entrepreneur is a bit more celebrated in America. That's true culturally, uh, but often we have the same issue with our parents where they're like, you're doing what? Like, uh, can you just take a safe job? I'm like, nah, fam, uh, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. So how did moving around, because um, I know like if you're teaching French to non-French speakers, obviously you have, you, know, you must have some experience with German as well. I know you're multilingual, correct? Yes, yes, I am. Um, well, I did have to learn German. I tried to learn German a lot back when I was living in France, but I never went very far. And then when I moved to Austria, I first moved to a very small town called Gmunden. If you don't know where that is, that's normal and you don't need to. It's in the middle of the Alps. It's very beautiful, but there's nothing to do there. And, you know, I was a French teaching assistant uh, in some high schools at that time. And in theory, for the job, I was not needing to speak German. In fact, I was strongly encouraged, at least on paper, to speak to, to the kids only in French. Uh, but then you have administration, you got to get a bank account, you got to do your paperwork, you got to talk to the, the school director who's not a French speaker. And at the end of the day, you, you have to learn German. And it was really tough to just be uh, thrown in like that and try to make sense of it. And also, what made it even worse is that over there, they don't really speak German. They have like a local dialect. It's the case pretty much everywhere in Austria, in Switzerland, and also in parts of Germany. Um, but in big cities, at least they are more capable of speaking a, a German that is more widely understood. Small towns now, forget it. So I will have every level of difficulty uh, that you can imagine. So I'm well aware of like how, how bad it can get. And I try to not do that to my students. So that's interesting because you have the, the book learning of a language, but you also have like the real language. And I think that's yes. true with German in this respect, but I found it be true with every language to include <laughs> the, lang the language that we have learned in business building so much of coding and CSS and HTML, like there's the language mm -hmm. and then there's the language, right? So right, how, right. like, do yeah. you encourage starting with the academic understanding or jumping kind of headfirst into more the local cultural understanding of that language? Um, the way that I work now with my clients is I define precisely what it is they will need for themselves. So it's very individual. Because uh, if you're a doctor and you're going to be uh, doing charity work in Africa versus if you're an international lawyer and you only work with uh, big businesses across the whole world, the language that you need to talk is going to be vastly different. Of course, you share some grammar and even some vocabulary, but just it's practically a different language. You have to, if you want to do it as fast as possible, 
you need to cut all the fluff that you don't need. So really, that's that's my approach. Is that first, how can I cut the fluff, and can I do exactly what what is targeted for you? So it's going to be neither the academic nor the local. It's going to be a custom tailored version that will work for that one person. Gotcha. And I'm sure that that lowers, that drastically decreases the time needed to learn because we're not learning stuff that's not really relevant to us. Right. Uh, versus, right. And the practical application just becomes so much easier, especially if you're already local yes. in that area, you can start applying immediately. Absolutely. It's the Pareto principle, you know, 20% um, of your efforts give 80% of your results. So why wouldn't you just do those 20%, right? Uh, 100%. Very cool. So with that, I mean, if we look at the broader industry of language learning, I certainly got my misgivings about some of the the more popular methods. Um, yes. I'd be interested in hearing your perspective as someone that does this personalized approach. Is this so if the listeners hearing this, like, that's great. Um, should I maybe start with the app that like free 499 app or whatever, or should I just kind of dive in or should I do both? Or like, what would you say to someone that's kind of on the fence about where to jump in? It really is going to be a personal matter. Um, I exclusively work with people who have already tried the apps and have found that it was absolutely nightmarish for them to try to learn in this way. Now, I don't think it means that it's nightmarish for everyone, although I don't know, really. Like, if I look at an app myself, I will have a lot of criticism as to why this is not the ideal way of, of going with it, no matter which app that is. Like, they have lots of different apps with lots of different approaches, but none of them really covers everything. Um, I like to think of French learning or language learning as a four-step uh, method, which is uh, selection, activation, immersion, and safe practice. And if you want, I can detail I can detail that a bit. But any method that I've seen that is like you know a formal method, like in a book, in an app, in a class, or whatever, they never hit the four uh, steps. Like they will at least miss one. Some of them will miss three, and some manage to somehow miss all four. Which I'm like, but what are you doing? You know. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's why I, I focus on really all aspects to make sure that it works. So cool. There's this this sitcom that we love to watch, me and my wife, where the 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 matriarch of the family wants to learn French so bad, and she watches this television television show and just repeating back phrases. And as someone that's, I'm like, well, that really doesn't work, right? And I think that's kind I mean, of, it, yeah, not, it could not, be part. It could be part of part the of, French yes. learning regimen. It's not gonna work on its own. That's the thing, right? So I'd love to know what inspired you to take this jump. I mean, working with locally, uh, you know, taking those positions that you were obviously being abroad while doing this, what brought you online into this space to, to build the online part of the business? Right. Yeah, that's a bit of a um, long road, uh, a bit of a detour, uh, if I can say that. Um, first, I was working in you know real life um, i had my master's degree i don't know 15 years ago mm -hmm. no more than that oh my god well yeah i generally say i've been teaching french for 19 years because i started when i was 19 um and so i had a couple of positions as a french teaching assistant and then i never really managed to have a full-time position again so i was getting some hours here some hours there 
And at some point I got super annoyed because I was like, okay, this is not, this is not a career, right? right. <laughs> Nothing is happening. I, I can't manage to work full time. I always have to patch things together. Let me go try to do something else entirely. And that's how I landed in the tech industry. So first I got a job as a, a senior customer support agent um, in one company in Vienna. Uh, and then in my second job in, in that area, I was the head of customer support in a big startup in Berlin. And that is, I made this jump because I had met my ex-wife who is from Berlin and I didn't know it was contagious. So I eventually became from Berlin myself. <laughs> so terrible, I don't recommend. I mean, I know some people love Berlin. Uh, famously, Tim Ferriss is very fond of Berlin, but yeah, so I personally didn't like it. I like Vienna a lot more. So I ended up coming back. And uh, when I came back, I already had my business because when I was in Berlin in the startup industry, I witnessed so much mismanagement mm. that I, um, I thought, okay, if those people can have a business, certainly so can I. And I had kind of been trying to run a business sort of like here and there ever since I was a kid, really. Uh, it just, you know, I think it's kind of a, a sort of gene that you have, right? You're, if some people are not interested and some people are like, it's part of your personality, I guess. Um, but then, you know, becoming an adult and uh, finding um, requirements like make a full-time income so that you can pay your rent. Um, yeah, I, I had not uh, pursued that for a number of years. And then, you know, I was witnessing the, the situation in the startup industry. I was like, yeah, like if, if these people can have a business, then certainly I'm, I'm not more dumb than they are, right? I'm, I'm at least as smart as they are. I, I can probably manage that better than them. I was in fact wrong, by the way. I think it's important to point that out. Uh, I don't think it's about being smart, but the thing I had forgotten to take into account is that uh, the people in question had received uh, very large funding. Uh, and I think they had like 30 millions of dollars total. And it's a lot easier to run a business when your business model is just to throw cash out of the window. Like, you know, like, let's be clear. If your sole business model is to get rid of the money, it's easier, like it's a fact. Yes. <laughs> so. $30 million, much easier start than zero. But nonetheless, uh, I, I took the zero and I ran with it. And I'm still running. It's been uh, seven years and a half. I love so much about that story because, yes, it some of the competitors that we might be up against, these you know quote-unquote competitors, like how many of them are bootstrapped? How many of them are actually making things turn? How many are producing profit versus just yeah. operating off that fake cash flow it's not mm -hmm. even cash flow it's just it's a cash preserve they're working off of and they're going right. to burn out of it eventually and if they're mismanaged that bad then it's inevitable but what i like in particular was that it was employment that led you down this path and for yes. me that, that was the same route where taking these gigs you know working in the gig economy getting myself exposed and that's that same thing of like well if they can do it I mean, come yeah. on, I'm at least as smart as they are. But when you talk about mismanagement in the startup industry, are there any particular things that you've carried on with you that's like, I will never do that, or that's a big no-no for me, like that you've seen in that mismanagement as, as you've built your own business? Oh, yeah. Uh, disrespecting the employees and the clients or users or whoever you're pretending to work for, but really you're not. That is, mm. yeah. 
I've witnessed the, the sort of behavior where I don't really know what matters to the founders, but it's not generating cash flow or generating a happy team or generating happy users. I, am, I, wow. still don't, I still don't know what it is they're trying to do. Oh, no, I know what it is they're trying to do. They're trying to sell their startup to Google or, you know, Apple or someone like that. That is what they're trying to do. Um, and they're just going to burn every bridge they have until they get there, right? If they get there ever. They're not there yet that I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Talking about disrespecting team members, are there any particular things that you saw that, that you've carried with you? Um, well, I mean, I don't have a big team, so I don't really, uh, get to do things like that, uh, but, mm-hmm. um, considering not people's ability, but something about them that they can't change is uh. just not a good look. Uh, <laughs> I was completely, um, flabbergasted when I noticed a guy being fired for being Italian. I was like, is that even a thing? First of it's illegal. And, you know, uh, you fire all the queer people in the team, which they have already done at this point. I was like, okay, I've heard of that before. But firing a guy for being Italian? Oh, my gosh. Not that it's, not that it's better to fire queer people than Italian people, but, like, come on. Like, you're not even trying to find an excuse at this stage. It's, it's, it's that bad. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, yeah. For all of our U.S.-based folks, that is illegal in the U.S. So that is illegal in that. Europe as well. It, I'm sure it is, is you, yeah. Yeah, the difference is that people don't sue here, and it's very hard to put together a legal case because lawyers just don't take them. Right. I, I, I had an encounter a couple of months ago where someone was prospecting for a position on their team, and they outright said, like, females only. And I'm like, dude, you can't do that. Like that, yeah, that that does what? Like, definitely can't write it down. Yeah, definitely can't write it down. Yeah. <laughs> That's the key. Um, I, <laughs> uh, a podcast I listen to, he says, "Hey, if you're ever gonna do anything illegal, just make sure you don't write it or text it." So yes, but let's just all of us listeners, let's just say, "Hey, let's just not do illegal stuff because it's easier, for sure." Um. So as you're growing the business, I know you went through this transition phase, and I'm really interested about this because I see a lot of people get hung up on this, where they start, and like if you want a cold start and start making money, we we all know one-to-one clients. They're not the yes. easiest to get, but it's definitely, there's less structure that you have to build around it when working one-to-one with clients, yes. but it's that step switch, that uh, pivot point to working in more group coaching programs, membership programs. What were the, some of the things that allowed you to do that? Or what, what are some tips that you'd have for someone that's currently working one-on-one and wants right. to switch to more of the group or membership dynamic? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm still working one-on-one a lot, and that's where most of my income comes from. So I can understand the feeling of really wanting your income to come from courses or come from groups, because obviously it's a lot more income uh, in theory. In practice, I find that uh, your one-on-one clients are going to pay you a lot more. And it's what's challenging for me is the reach part. It's not the, the making the switch for the, the group. It's managing to reach enough people for the group to actually you know, feed me, basically. With that right. said, I do have a group and it runs very well. And the key to doing that is 
you have to have your work with your one-on-one -on -one clients very formalized. You have to have everything uh, documented, every process that can be systematized should be systematized already. And think of a way that you can use that process, you can package that process a bit more so that you remove yourself from part mm -hmm. of the equation. So for example, for me, I, like I said, I was making a personalized plan for every single student or client. I am still doing that. Uh, you can imagine that it's not that easy to package it, but the way that I create the plan uh, is that I have a step-by-step -step process for myself that I follow every time, you know, and I make the person answer this question and that question, and then I take what they said and I, you know, put them here and there. And after I had right. done that a few dozens of time, I was like, hey, maybe the person could do it themselves. It can be a workshop. And mm. so I made that into free workshops because my personal, personal plan are three pages uh, for each person. So I made one right. workshop per page with the process packaged. And it would take maybe four hours total for someone to take the whole workshops and, and create the plan. Definitely not as comfortable as show, you know, filling a small questionnaire and showing up one hour and then having me do the work for them. Um, but much cheaper because of course I'm removed from the equation. And then think of how you can add more value. Like right now my group program serves to supplement my one-on-one -on -one coaching a lot. And it's another argument for people to join the one-on-one -on -one coaching because they get so much more value than just being in touch with me. Right. There are maybe 20, 25 different workshops that I added on top of those three, which, because you know, there are things that are common. Like for example, French verbs are notoriously nightmarish and it's very hard to, to learn them. And it doesn't really make sense to use one-on-one -on -one time to explain individually to each client uh, this verb, this and that, okay? Right. If you can package it and tell them, okay, like now you're at the stage where you can watch this workshop and please go watch it and come back to me, see if you have questions, you're going to add much more values. And that will apply to your one-to-one -one and also to your group. Gotcha. So I think if if I, I work primarily one-on-one -on -one right now, so I think an action step that I should take from your, your points is that my IP is developing in real time in many ways when mm -hmm. I'm working one-to-one. -one. So taking the time to go back, catalog the steps that I've right. taken with my one-to-one -one clients in order to systematize that so that I yes. can put it into something would be the logical next step for me and anyone else that's working primarily one-on-one -on -one right. because it you're developing your IP through practice versus just sitting in your room alone thinking about it, right? Mm -hmm. that, that That's the distinction. It's that the I'm only way that mind. it works. Uh, too many people think they have to like somehow come up with the perfect thing and then bring it to market. I, I'm sure that's how all the language learning apps have created their thing. I'm sure. And yes. how it doesn't work, you know? It's just, Fantastic. Yeah, it can't work this way. I love doing that that real time aspect of it, and and just a process question from my end. Uh, you're yes. talking about creating that personalized plan. Obviously, like that's a time commitment from the consumer's side. So is that done like as part of like a pre-purchase way of like putting together your plan, or is that post-purchase? Just understanding where to put that that type of exercise in our in our stack. So it is post-purchase. I've played with how to work with it uh, over the years. Uh, I used to just sell that one plan. It's called the Roadmap mm -hmm. to Fluency. Uh, it's still on my website somewhere if you manage to find it in the depth. Um, I don't promote it anymore because I find that it's a lot better 
if I make the plan and then I work the plan with the person, uh, as opposed to just making the plan and telling people, okay, work it now, um, you know? Uh, but yes, so how I work is people can uh, book a 30 minutes application call with me where we meet and, you know, I understand what you're about, what are your goals, and if basically it's a good fit to work together. And if you decide it's a good fit for us to work together, then you sign up, you make your first payment. I have a monthly subscription model. Mm -hmm. I've put everything on monthly subscription with like reoccurring payment. I find that it's just so much easier um, than having to um, decide every month or like, or whatever. Like you, you come in, it will take you more than one month to learn French. Like that's a fact. Oh yeah. No, it's just, it's going to take a yes. certain amount of time. Maybe if you're committed, it could take like one year. I've seen people doing it in six months, uh, but less than six months is very, uh, almost unheard of. So knowing that, why wouldn't you create a little subscription and then the person click buy once and then it keeps charging them until they cancel. And then after they have made their first payment, we use basically the first week of that experience or half week, depending if it's one session or two sessions a week to create the plan. Then I send it to them and then we work it from there. And then on the business side, having those recurring subscriptions, having that recurring model does two things from my perspective and uh, confirm or deny this. Um, it makes the decision point on the purchase easier for the yes. person doing it. They're not paying all up front, but also from your back end, your cash flow is more stable. You can have predictable revenue to an extent. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're not operating in crisis mode or from that position of yes. uh, anxiety that so often accompanies running an online business. That was the one decision that went my business, made my business go from something that brings money sometimes to being my main full-time income. So that's really? absolutely critical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that simple transition from yes. high ticket to high ticket over time. <laughs> That's how exactly, exactly. Yes. it's exactly that um, because before with having people pay everything up front uh, sometimes I would receive 5,000 euros and I was like yeah I have money for some time you know and then I don't right. know when is that next 5,000 euro payment it could be six months down the line you can't live with that right? Um, right but knowing that okay I have like this much every month and it varies quite widely because I can have a couple clients or I can have uh, up to seven one-to-one -one clients because I've found that seven is my limit. If I have more than seven, I start mixing them up. I just don't give a service that's the same quality. So for me, it's important to have the highest quality possible. So mm -hmm. seven is the maximum, but you know, from two or three to seven, it can be a, a big gap, but it doesn't matter. It moves itself out over time very easily, much more easily than just having one-time purchases. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. I love it. Well, I have some ideas on what to do next. So this is good. Cool. <laughs> and when you I launched you group, was it uh, like, did you do is like a launch model or did you like slowly drip people in or like you came in with a group or, or how did you actually make that, that line in the sand moment where we launched group? I, Absolutely did to launch model. It was uh, 2019. Uh, my assistant who works with me now actually uh, was from the first intake of students at that time. So I, I made a big deal out of it, like really big launch. If you, if you scroll down to my Instagram, you can find all the posts I made over like 10 days for the launch uh, with that. And there were emails every day and I made a webinar and I was planning on putting it on an automated funnel 
But mm -hmm. for some reason, I've never managed to make those automated funnels work for me. I don't know why, maybe one day I'll, I'll manage it, but I find that it's much easier for people to connect with me if they have me live. That's why I decided, okay, everyone can get a 30 minutes call with me. And if they decide not to do it, it's fine. Like I, I have free time. That's the thing, like the, the, the essence of making your business smooth is that you get to have a lot of free time to do things that at first uh, sight might not be super productive. But for me, I find that's the best way that it works, that you're interested in learning French, go book a call on my website, frenchfrancy.net slash call, C-A-L-L. I even have a shortcut because it's easy to say it this way. And yeah, let's right. talk about it. I, I always recommend that they check out what I do just so that they have an idea of, of my style. You know, I have like a really big yeah. YouTube channel with a lot of videos about learning French and then a huge blog and stuff. But yeah, let's talk about it. And it's generally the, the best way to decide whether or not to... Uh, work together and from the timeline perspective i like it's not been the, it's not a new thing it's definitely like the last five years thing where everyone's like do this in 30 days 90 days till you know you but like you said where like if you're really dedicated you're a year out and for me it, it was more do this in three years to be honest <laughs> was it like just straight up tackling that from the outset like yeah if you're interested in this we're going to be working together we're going to work long. together yeah okay. i mean i i took a class that was really uh important for me uh, it was called yeah for clients the uh, creator is called nichelle i don't think she runs it still but at the time she was saying that it would take six months from zero to full-time income that just the in her experience that was a reasonable time frame mm-hmm from the moment that I signed up with that class to when I actually made a reliable full-time income, it was more like two years, you know, wow. and plus the one year that I tried before I was in that class. It's not something that you can do fast. I think there are lots of people who are under the impression that building an online business is easier than building a, a business on the ground. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. It's so much easier when you can go out and meet people in real life, you have that instant connection and people are like, oh, yeah, I met that guy and he does that and we're going to work together. Online, it's like, oh, yeah, I have seen 50 people who do that on YouTube. Uh, let me uh, yeah. continue to watch their stuff and maybe make a decision later. It's just a longer process. And like so many other industries, you are facing the YouTube, you know, enemy, if you will. I mean, yes, where people that too. People have this perception that, oh, I'll just watch a bunch of free stuff on YouTube. Like, are there any particular ways that you've combated that or that you've used your content to get people to make that switch in their head of, yeah, I can watch 40 videos back to back on YouTube and it's not going to help me in any way, not even close to how much it will if I go down this path. I think the, the world wears them down for me, to be honest. Because everybody who's learning a language will try the free alternatives first. Yeah. And it is, it's not very different if it's watching videos on YouTube or downloading the apps. So many apps are free, you know. Um, but after they've done that and they realize they're no much closer to the finish line, if they really want it, they're much more motivated to actually invest in someone to help them with it. So I, I think that's the, that's the difference. Um, one thing that's also annoying with the YouTube enemy, as you said, is the, the algorithm. 
Yeah. Um, there's endless entertainment on YouTube. You're not gonna make big numbers with French lessons, no matter how entertaining you try to make them. It's just not gonna happen, right? Definitely not on TikTok. I mean, it's, that's like even worse. That's yes. a that's a dopamine nightmare where yes. it's just constantly going for that hit versus anything in in depth. I've tried I've tried it in my niche of doing the short form videos in in TikTok, and it was sad. <laughs> maybe i haven't yeah, maybe that, i haven't hit YouTube it yet short. i have to keep on trying yeah now there's youtube short and it's a tiktok copy and they have moved the nightmare to youtube as well yay i know yay <laughs> short form no attention span when we're both teaching stuff that require attention spans so yeah. i think the big judo flip in my mind from the entrepreneurial perspective is that it's not so much that youtube and the apps have in you know, slowed your growth, but rather they're queuing up your customers to come to you from already that point of pain and frustration and yes. I've tried everything else. So rather than shy away from it, it's almost like lean into it and just say, have you tried all this stuff and wonder why it didn't work? Let me tell you kind of model. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it takes a long time for people to find me just because I'm down in the depth of YouTube and, and you have to type a query that somehow magically pulls up my channel. But I leaned into that. Um, I made content that was less, um, that was more searched for and, and less worked. You know, that's how you, you, you work the algorithm, basically find some sort of niche that's not completely overcrowded. One thing that I've had success with uh, that works for me is finding uh, celebrities, uh, mostly they are American people who have learned French and then analyze how they speak. And I made videos about Jodie Foster. I have one about uh, Anthony Blinken. And people, the, a lot of the people who end up working with me think of, oh, this guy or this girl, uh, American that I know, speaks French. I want to know how they manage. Then they type Anthony Blinken speaking French or Jodie Foster speaking French. And a couple of videos done, it's me analyzing some patterns that they use or something like that. And right. then in that video, it says, hey, by the way, I'm a French learning coach. And if you want to work right. with me and, and, you know, build up those competence, then you have the link in the description and then, you know, they can click it and take it from there. And I found Using... that that's a little funnel that works well for me. It took me years to find it, but it works. Yeah. The, the other famous one I think of John Kerry is like, oh, I speak French. I'm like, and I heard him. I'm like, eh. Kind really? Of. Let me write that down because he's not on my list and he's going to be next. <laughs> John Kerry. Good. Good. Yeah, send that to me when you're done. That'd be hilarious. Yes. So cool. As you've been building the business, you've, you've added team members. You mentioned one of the team members came from your program. I found a lot of success with that as well, like employing your true believers already. Um, it's, is that like, how has that worked? For you, is that the only one, or have you employed other people that have taken your class first? Um, no, she's the only one in that category, and she's the only one who has worked with me maybe what two years, two years and a half now that um, mm -hmm. we've been working together. Uh, before her, I had a Filipino VA. At that time, they were kind of fashionable. I don't know if they still are fashionable. I just don't hear about Filipino VAs as much as I used I to at the time. Good. Um, and, and it worked, you know, she, she did a good job and stuff, but it was not quite the cultural fit that it would be to work with someone who actually is a true believer in, mm. in what you're doing and also a native English speaker. So for example, my, my assistant now, she can write emails for me. Uh, my VA definitely couldn't do it. 
because our English was good, but not so good that she would write emails for natives, right? Right. So having so she, that that fluency is definitely what yes. you're looking the most for. Yes, and, and it really helps for me that uh, my assistant is from the main market that I serve because most of, of the people I work with are from the U.S. as well. Gotcha. And I know that just the idea of having like ha surrounding yourself with believers in your industry, yes. in your business, I, you, you have to be careful, I think, because just if someone believes in it doesn't mean they're going to be a good employee, but it's, but it helps. Definitely, it's it, it, it helps. Yeah. yeah. And I know the Filipino VA thing, I think it's, it's, I've seen it. And so it, it depends on what group I'm in. Like I mm -hmm. see it, it like this Facebook group is talking all about them. This Facebook group is hiring Europeans. So the VA industry is alive and well. I think it's just it's just kind of a shifting narrative of where we're looking in the world uh, right. for those VAs. And like as we having a VA, I think is inevitable. If you're going to grow your business, I I I see it as the logical yeah. next step. How has having that VA have that second person to help you? How has it helped your business grow to the next level and free up your time for the higher level task? That's, um, yeah, that's definitely the one thing that makes the difference uh, other than making your operations move and, and cutting the stuff that's useless. I find there's one thing that's a trap with uh, when you start having a VA, is that if, if before you work with a VA, you haven't cut off all the stuff that you don't need to do at all, uh, mm. you know, it's step one, okay, what can I remove? Like what does not need to be done? What can I automate? Just try to like make it as smooth as possible already on your own. And then those tasks that you absolutely have to do, uh, you give it to the VA if they are simple enough that they can be explained to someone else. Right. So it's things like uh, I, I've never put up anything on, on my website or rarely put up anything on my website myself. If I write a blog post, um, she's going to put it up on my website. Sometimes she's even going to write the blog post herself because um, I get contacted by those apps, uh, you know, people who make new apps and want to have reviews, they contact me and I'm like, hey, would you review us? And you, you know, you get access of the app for free and, and an affiliate code or whatnot. And I'm like, well, personally, I don't care, but I know someone who would be really interested in trying a new language learning thing, right? right. So, so I give it to her, you know? And, and then it makes content and it makes relationships with the people in the industry. Like it definitely frees me up for the stuff that I don't really want to do, which if it was just me, I would say no to. But since she's interested right. in doing it, uh, then she can do it. So yeah, it's those two aspects of things. But I think and either way, she you're, does you're com sorry. Yeah. Also, she does community management, uh, which I found is an important element. Uh, it's good for uh, the students, especially when they first join, to find someone that's like them in the program. And so she, she sends the uh, email reminders and she connect, you know, speaks to people when, if they RSVP or if they say, sorry, I can't come. She answers emails, things like that. It works because she was a member of the community first. Right. And I love what you said first was that you cut first. Like you made oh, yeah. the determination, what do we actually have to do in the business? And I imagine that's like a continual conversation even when delegating stuff, like, do we really need to do this? Right. Like if you, like right now, my business doesn't change so much. I focus a lot on keeping what's uh, useful and cutting off what's not. And eventually you just don't have to change all that much. But if you're going to keep creating new programs or keep 
you know, slightly changing what you're promoting and stuff, then, then you have a lot more day-to-day -day operations and you have to do mm -hmm. that process continuously, yes. Love it, love it. It's that continued evaluation, I think, is what most people miss on yes. and myself included sometimes. So it's that like reminder. Um, I found it to be effective to like schedule a monthly or quarterly review of what we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. I is that something have that, yes. like you have that too? Good. Yeah. Great minds think alike. Awesome. Fantastic. So before we jump here today, and thank you so much for your time. It's been really fascinating. I loved hearing how you've you made this this decision to launch the business and some of the, the key areas in those pivot points. I'm, I'm definitely going to take back to the, uh, the idea board here. That being said, a lot of people want to have success in this industry. And like, what would you say are some of the top skills that you'd recommend or top books that you would recommend uh, to help uh, users on that journey? Oh, that is extremely broad of a question, but I always have lots of ideas. Um, first off, I think it's important to not have a time frame in mind. Because if I had listened too much to the people who tell it takes six months, because I've never really heard anyone claim that it takes more than six months, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. It took me three years to have a business that runs consistently and that I can rely on. Right. So just try to do whatever it takes to not be in a time crunch so you, mm -hmm. you can stay the course. Uh, one book that I found super important, and it's too bad that it was only released when I was already four years in. <laughs> but if you're starting now, read uh, Chillpreneur by Denise DeField Thomas. I can show you. Oh, actually, she re-edited it with a new uh, title. It's called Chill and Prosper now. Chill and Prosper. I do not yes. have that one. That okay. is, um, you know, there are lots of books that you think of. I definitely think of uh, the ClickFunnels books and, and stuff like that, Anthony Robbins and the classics, and they definitely all help doing something. But this one, uh, she brought a, an important piece of the, of the puzzle is that a lot of the entrepreneurs that we know are basically, they are men and they are not in charge of anything other than their business. And mm. that could mean that if you're not that profile, it's going to be harder for you because they don't think of all the other things you have to deal with. Like a lot of the people, when they start their business, they have a job and they can't be right. full-time business, right? At the very least. Um, she has three kids. She didn't have them when she first started her business, but now she does. And she has to, um, you know, work with them. Um, and it's all about how you can make the business work for you as opposed to trying to twist yourself in a pretzel to work for your business. Right. So that's really a super important book. Like if I have one book to recommend to new entrepreneurs who just somehow don't sit on 30 million and can't afford to like just throw cash out of the window until some magical event happen. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the book you want to be reading. It's also specifically about online businesses and the models that you can uh, use. So like being a coach, selling courses, stuff like that. Yeah, totally recommend. Absolutely. Well, I have another book to my reading list. Thanks, man. Welcome. Appreciate it. Happy to help. <laughs> we talked about this yesterday. We, were, we had a call where we were both comparing our book stacks. It's like, yeah, we're both, we're both book people. I love yeah, it. It's absolutely. all good. Fantastic. Dude, thank you so much for joining me, Angel. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love learning about this stuff and um, definitely appreciate where you are in the industry uh, making a difference. Uh, that's the number one thing I can say when, when I'm on 
I'm thinking of businesses to either work with or bring on the show. It's about the difference that we're making in the world yes. and um, to see what you're doing. It's it's phenomenal, inspiring. And now, now I have a laundry list to do for the rest of the day. So it's going to be a good day. Cool. <laughs> Happy to help write your laundry list. Thank you so much for having me. That was so fun. Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click start here.